Listen to the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus also said to his disciples, A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, Take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all this and sneered at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves before other people, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued by people is deeply offensive to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I can just confess to you this morning as a preacher that sometimes we look at the text for the day and we think, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> this is one of those moments. But I do take solace in the fact that commentators and the great theologians of centuries have been confused by this parable. They don't all agree on it. They've got lots of different interpretations, and that's okay, right? I mean, it is a crazy wild story. It resists easy explanation. And if it's true, as I've said to you, that parables are not problems to be solved, but mysteries to be embraced— then we're in a good one today, right? And if we should resist solitary explanations of a parable, if we should strive to be surprised and even a little bit disturbed, then we've got a gem this morning. So today, especially today, I want to invite you to engage in, with me as I wrestle with this parable in three acts, three movements. I hope that you will engage with it with me in a kind of spirit of creativity and mystery 
and surprise. Maybe we might actually find some good news about bad behavior. Now, in order to get some sense of this parable, we also have to understand the loan practices of ancient Israel. Some of you biblical scholars will know this, that it was forbidden in Torah for a Jew to loan money or possessions to another Jew and charge interest. This was against the Torah. It was not allowed. And yet, we know how business slips, right? We know how things begin to happen over time and how once was forbidden now becomes part of the practice. But what some Jewish merchants had figured out how to get beyond this so it wasn't sort of against the law is rather than saying, you owe me this and there'll be this interest, they just figured out what the interest would be, put it in the lump sum and said, that's what you're going to owe me in five years. You follow me? So in the contract, it doesn't look like there's any interest, but everybody knows there's interest being charged. That's what's going on here. That's what's happened and so when the manager discovers that he's getting sacked, he says, what in the world can I do? I, I can't dig, I'm too weak, I'm too old, I'm too proud to beg. How can, I, how can I somehow smooth things over maybe with the debtors and somehow when this all goes down that they'll be beholden to me, they'll like me, they'll welcome me into their homes? So he acts shrewdly. He acts cleverly. He goes to the debtors, and he says to them, how much do you owe? And with each one of them, they write new contracts, right there and then. And he reduces the amount that they owe. Scholars think probably what he's doing is he's reducing the interest that was embedded within the deal. You follow me? So he's letting them off the hook in a lot of ways. But what's really fascinating about this is that when the master finds out what he's done, he's still getting sacked, right? But he says to, to him, oh, you clever boy, look what you've done. Now, the manager has still set up the master. The master can't undo when the manager has done, because if he undoes it, then it's going to be clear that there's interest involved, right? So not only has the manager taken care of himself, he's sort of messed with uh, he's, he's messed with the master. But the master says, oh, how clever of you. How shrewd of you in what you have done. It's a weird story, right? Bad behavior getting praised. Now, one of the things I think we have to do, and we talk about this a lot here at Pazanaz, is we want to try to read Scripture in context. We want to read it in the places before and after in terms of what the author is doing and saying. So if we go back to Luke chapter 15 for a minute, at verse 1 we hear this. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. All the sinners and all the tax collectors, tax collector code word for more sinners, right? We're gathering around Jesus. We should stop, Mateo, and just spend a day on that verse. All the sinners and tax collectors were gathering around Jesus. Jesus wasn't going out looking for sinners and tax collectors. You with me? He isn't going out 
looking for them, and he's certainly not going out telling them how bad and sinful and awful they are. Jesus isn't going out preaching that kind of message and then expecting them to turn around and join him. I mean, it's in Scripture, don't blame me. He didn't do that with the disciples, by the way, either, right? Also sinners. He just said, follow me. Follow me. Now, here's the thing. I love the church. I love y'all. You know that, right? I love the church because I grew up in the church. So I know the amazing things that the church can do. And I also know the terrible things that the church can do. And some of you do as well, right? But because I've grown up in the church, because I love the church, I can treat those foibles as sort of a, 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 a strange, odd relative. You know, oh, that's just weird Uncle Bob. He's okay. That's crazy, you know, Aunt Sally. They sometimes do funny stuff, but, you know, but they, they also do this really great stuff, right? Those of us who've grown up in the church, we, we, we can, we can uh, uh, not so much make excuses, but we can understand why the church is the way it is. We can get that. But here's the thing. People outside the church don't love the church. And they haven't grown up in the church, and they don't know us, so they don't treat us when we engage in our kind of weird foibles. They don't go, oh, there's crazy Uncle Sally, or Uncle Sally, Uncle Bob, crazy Aunt Sally, right? They don't, they don't say that. They don't see us as strange, odd relatives whom they love. They see us as weird, dangerous neighbors to be avoided. Are you with me? They don't know us. They don't love us. I dream of a day. When the church universal in Paz Naz is so attractive, is so life-giving, that sinners and tax collectors gather around it. Are you with me? But of course, while the sinners and tax collectors are gathering, guess what the religious people are doing? They're grumbling. They're saying, he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Oh, I'm glad we never have that problem. You see, here's the thing. To the religious leaders of the day, Jesus isn't doing religion right. He's not doing it correctly. I mean, they might be saying, where's the fire and brimstone, Jesus? Where's the condemnation? Why aren't you calling out these people on their sin? Where's the condemnation? Why aren't you separating yourself from these people so that you can be holy? Why aren't you doing that? I think I know why, if I may be so bold. It's because God's name isn't condemnation. Oh, come on. I have to stand up now. God's name isn't guilt. God's name isn't shame, brothers and sisters. Do you know what God's name is? Oh, come on, say it loud. Love. God's name is love. God's name is love. You see, in this story, the master praises the dishonest manager, even though it doesn't make sense what he's doing. It doesn't fit the normal way things should be done. He lets the debtors off in a way not keeping with the contract. 
to the religious folks of the day, Jesus is the bad manager. Are you with me? Jesus is the bad manager, according to the religious leaders of the day. Jesus isn't going about God's business the way they think he should. Remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son squandered his inherited wealth. Jesus is squandering his father's wealth. Jesus is engaging in the reckless distribution of grace that makes no sense at all. Come on, church. You ought to be able to testify to that because each one of you in here is a sinner. And God has delivered you and said you're forgiven just as you are. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything great. You're not so great. You're not so holy. You're not so good looking. <laughs> of course, you're all those things. <laughs> Jesus is the bad manager who cancels debts and offers grace. That's good news about bad behavior. Are you with me now? That's good news about bad behavior. Maybe we too, as followers and disciples of Jesus, are called to be bad managers when it comes to God's grace, when it comes to his reckless grace. Now remember how I said a few weeks back, that instead of asking, what does this parable mean, we should ask, what is this parable doing? What is this parable doing to me? Another way to say that is, what is God inviting you into today? And three different times today, we're just going to pause as a congregation, and Mateo's going to play a refrain, sing a refrain for us, and just strum a little bit. And I invite you in this moment of reflection to quiet in your heart, ask God what he is inviting you into today. Let's reflect together. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. If you're speaking, Lord, make it loud and clear. If you want to move, let us go from here. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Eight through 13. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
Again, the master commends the dishonest manager, saying he acted cleverly. Or in earlier translations, shrewdly. I like that word, shrewdly. The word shrewd there implies a kind of acting with an eye to the future. The manager is acting now with an eye of what, towards what might yet be, what's coming down the pike. As problematic as his behavior is, right, he's sort of cheating the master, maybe there's an important message here about discipleship in the kingdom. The people of the world are shrewd with money, aren't they? Or as the text says, they're shrewd with wealth. They're shrewd with wealth or shrewd with mammon, also a word we often read in these texts, which implies more than just money. It implies talent and time, all the resources that we have. The people of this world are shrewd with wealth. They invest wisely. They take risks. They see an opportunity and they seize it. By comparison... Sometimes the children of light are not so wise. The truth is that sometimes we're a bit passive. The truth is sometimes we sit around and we create our worship services and our programs and that sort of thing, and we wait for people to come to us. Business as usual. Hope you'll like it. Or, to borrow from another parable, perhaps we bury our one talent, hoping someone will come dig it up. (laughs) But you know how that parable ends. Maybe, again, the good news about bad behavior is that in some sense we are called to act shrewdly, to act cleverly with the mammon that we have been given as gift. Believers are not simply to obtain wealth. We are to use it. We serve God and use mammon. You with me? It's not wrong to have mammon. The question is, what do you do with it? Do you bury it? Do you hoard it? Do you build a brick wall? Do you put it in silos? Right? All other sorts of parables there. Or do you act shrewdly with it? Shrewd people use mammon in light of eternal consequences. Have you thought about that? What we're doing right now as a church, as a body of Christ, may or may not have eternal consequences. We've been talking a lot about growing young around here. How might we act shrewdly in order for that to happen? How might we use our wealth, our time, our talents, ourselves for eternal consequences. Now let me be really clear with you for a second. To to grow young doesn't mean that anyone gets left behind. I really don't believe that. It doesn't mean that any one group, young folks, are more important than any other group, us old folks. But it does mean that those of us that are here right now are going to have to make space for those who are not here right now. Are you with me? And we're going to have to do more than that, I'm convinced. We're going to have to work at it so that this space is so attractive and so welcoming that sinners and tax collectors gather to it. Okay? Now, we're not going to accomplish that, friends. We're not going to accomplish that by, A, doing business as usual. 
mean, I don't know anybody in here doesn't want younger people to be with us, right? But oftentimes we want younger to, people to be with us and to do church the way we do it. We want them to come and like what we do. And the truth is that's not exactly what's happening in the world. <laughs> so it's not going to work if we just do business as usual. It's not going to come by condemning those outside of the church. Hey, all you sinners out there, quit doing that and then come join us. I mean, this is marketing 101, friends. We know better than that. By the way, God does the convicting. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls people to account. Not you, because you got to worry about getting the plank out of your eye before you could judge anyone's speck. And we're not going to accomplish growing young by holding on and protecting our mammon. And again, mammon, your time, your talent, your skills, not just your money, but who you are. We've got to round up the wagons. We've got to make sure we don't lose this. We've been doing this for years. We can't lose that. What if God said you have to lose that in order to act shrewdly to have eternal consequences? I don't know what that might look like for us individually or as a church. But I'm convinced that we're not going to grow. We're not going to act shrewdly if we keep doing business as usual, if we condemn those outside the church, and if we hold on and protect our own wealth, our own mammon. So maybe it's time to get radical like the manager did, the dishonest manager. Maybe it's time to, to set things right by acting with the future in mind. The fear that I have, and I think is in this parable in some ways, is that perhaps the children of light have lost sight of what it takes to participate in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So I ask you again this morning, what is this parable doing to you? What is God inviting you into today? As Mateo plays, just reflect on that silently for a few minutes. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. If you're speaking, Lord, make it loud and clear. If you want to move, let us go from here. Give me eyes to see and ears to Here, Luke 16, verses 14 and 15a. The Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all this and sneered at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves before other people, but God knows your heart. Friends, God knows our heart. And we could hear that in two ways this morning. The first way might be a bit of a loving judgment. Can I put loving in front of judgment for the people of God? 
in your reflection this morning, God may have been saying to you, that's you. You're struggling with this. You need to let this go. You're not using the mammon I've given you well. You're not being shrewd. You're not being clever. You're, you're protecting something. Or you're judging and you're not welcoming. Whatever it might be, whatever the Lord might be saying to you this morning, you might have felt the holy hand of correction. And that's okay. That's okay because remember the first act? Jesus is the bad manager. <laughs> it's fun to say it that way because bad, right, has those two, those two meanings. That's a bad manager right there. <laughs> Jesus is engaging and is engaging today in squandering God's grace for you. Oh, friends, we sang it earlier. He loves us. He loves us. My heart breaks if anyone, doesn't, if anyone leaves this morning and doesn't know how much God loves you how much God has given for you and cares about you and doesn't care where you've been or what you've done or what you've seen or what you've been a part of, that doesn't matter at all because Jesus is the one who shows us good news about bad behavior. And so even if you have felt the holy touch of critique this morning from the Spirit, the second way to hear this God knows your heart is come on home. Just repent. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 872nd time. Anybody else? And what does repent mean? It means to change our hearts and to change our lives. 